Now this weekend we're starting a brand new series that we're calling Hope Where You Are. And if it sounds familiar to you, it's because that's a slogan that we've used over the years as a part of our 2020 vision as we talked about building campuses in the triangle, helping us reach the triangle and change the world, having a campus within 20 minutes of everybody that's in the triangle. By the way, let me just say this. As a part of that, next Sunday afternoon, four o'clock, the 18th at four o'clock in the afternoon, we'll put the slide up at the address on the screen. If you live in North Raleigh, 540 US 1, Crabtree Valley area, North Hills, and you are interested in being part of a new campus in North Raleigh, a facility has become available to us, and uh, I need to know what your interests are. And it's very, very important that you attend this meeting, <clears throat> because this is the way I think. If you don't have time and the energy to attend an information meeting, you probably don't have the commitment to help us start a campus, okay? And so that's next Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock. If you're in a small group, if you're in our, our database, you probably have gotten an email. I'll say more about it next week, but it's an opportunity, a phenomenal opportunity. We have hundreds of people who live in North Raleigh, and this may be our opportunity to do that. Now, now, this series that we're going to be talking about has nothing to do with campuses, okay? Has nothing to do with our 2020 vision. The series that we're going to start this weekend talks about us as individuals and how do we maximize our potential as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, so that we can make a difference in the world, so that we can carry the hope of Jesus Christ with us everywhere that we go. In fact, many of us have a little sticker on our car, and you may have one. I have one on the back of my truck. It looks like this, hope where you are. But if I were going to design a sticker for this series, it would be like the one at the bottom, Hope Where You Are. Because this isn't about us as a congregation. This is about you as an individual. And my target audience in this series is those of us who have had our lives impacted by other people. And that would be most of us. And because of that impact on our lives, maybe we find ourselves asking the question, God, is it possible that you could ever use me to impact someone else the way that individual has impacted me? And my motivation for doing this series, I'll just tell you right up front, is, is to get us as a congregation to start thinking a little bigger. It's to get us as a congregation to get us to start thinking a little broader. In fact, I want each of us to ask the question, God, what could you do if I could get my priorities and if I could get my values, God, lined up with your priorities and values? God, what could you do through me? God, who in my community could you use me to reach? Now, I realize that some of you, you're already in the process process of discovering that, and, and you're, you're already being used in that way. But here's the challenge. In a church the size of Hope Community Church, I mean, we have about 10,000 people that attend every weekend. We have about 15,000 people who attend at least once a month. We're a big church. In a church our size, there are literally thousands of people who've never thought about life in those terms. And maybe you have your reason. Maybe it's, maybe it's because you're from a dysfunctional background, and you just assume God could never use me to make a difference in someone else's life. Or maybe for the past few months or the past few years, you've been involved in some spectacular sinning. You know what I'm talking about? The really good stuff, the stuff that people actually enjoy. In fact, maybe you consider yourself an all-pro sinner, right? And now you've stumbled into church, you've begun a relationship with God, you're just taking baby steps in that spiritual journey, and you're at such a beginning stage, you can't even imagine how God could possibly use you. I mean, from your perspective, you're so fresh, so new, there's so much to, I mean, you just found the maps in the book of the, in the back of the Bible, right? You're hoping that I actually preach from the book of maps today, right? Because that's the one thing you've actually located in the Bible. So you're, or maybe, maybe it's the other extreme. Maybe you've been in church for years and you have all kinds of gifts, all kinds of talents. Maybe you have all kinds of ability, but right now, even as a Christian, you are just so focused on you. I mean, it's about my life, my family, my career, my education. It's all about you. And because of that, you've never really taken the time to explore the possibility 
What could God do through me? What could God possibly use me to accomplish? Who could God reach and impact through my life? And I'm just gonna tell you the reason for this series is so important because there is no greater thrill in life than when God uses you to impact another individual. I mean, when God actually uses you to change a person's spiritual destiny, there's nothing like it in life. I've, I've, I've had a great life, and I've experienced a lot of great things. I've been able to travel to some incredible places, meet some incredible people, and it's been, but you know what, eventually, whatever I've done, eventually it just becomes another memory. And don't get me wrong, pleasant memories, but basically, eventually, they're, they're just memories. But I remember like when I was a child, there are things that we get excited about and then they become a reality and we think that that's gonna be so fulfilling. I remember when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I saw a Corvette and I thought, one day, I'm gonna have one of those. Now, of course, when I was 13 or 14, a Corvette only cost about 50 bucks. That's how long ago it was, right? You get older and they get kind of expensive. But, and then I kind of got out of the Corvette phase and I decided I was gonna be a Harley biker cause you know, I got tattoos and I think I would look tough. And so I decided I was gonna get me a Harley and I talked to Laura about it and she said no. And so I thought I will break her down. I will beat her down. I will wear her out. And finally she'll say, get a Harley. And finally one day she snapped and looked at me. And she said, you'll never get a Harley. <laughs> but you've always wanted a Corvette. Why don't you get one? I'm like, hello, hello, right? <laughs> Well, I went right out and found one, and it was old. I mean, the seats were ripped, and, uh, and uh, you know how your headlights pop up when you turn them on? Only one popped up. I used to call it Mr. Winky, because it looked like it was kind of winking at you, and I'd have to pull over and go out and manually pull the, but I loved that car, and the tingle of getting in that car and cranking that thing up and hearing those pipes, but you know what? Eventually, tingle went away, got rid of it. About a year ago, Laura and I dreamed, moved into what I would say is our dream home, and uh, you know, you ever done that? You build a house or you buy a house and you go through the anticipation of waiting to move into the house and finally you close and, and it's move-in day. Nobody can wear the shoes in the house. You know those days? Nobody can walk on the carpet. You don't want to hang any pictures because it's so new. And you, but you know what? A year later, it's a house. Tingles just kind of goes away. You know what I'm talking about. But when I think back over my life and I think about specific people where God has allowed me to be involved in their life and God has somehow used me in their life to impact them in their, in their spiritual life and on their spiritual journey. When I think about certain people, I'm telling you, I cannot talk about them without getting teary. And it's because when God uses you to impact someone's life in a way that it, it actually helps them move forward in their spiritual journey. And you know that it's God working through you. You know it's nothing that you're doing. And because of that impact that you've had on their life, you begin to realize their life is never, ever going to be the same. I'm telling you, there's just something about those experiences that you cannot compare to anything else in life. I'm telling you, the tingle never, ever goes away. So over the next few weeks as we go through this series, I am just praying, this is my prayer, that God will just absolutely blow the doors off of our thinking about what he can do through us if we would just make ourselves available to him. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, man, that sounds good, Mike. I'm all in, let's do it, right? But this is what happens. After you entertain those thoughts, let's do it, immediately you're reminded of your past, your failures, your baggage, your mistakes. You look around at a crowd on a Sunday morning where it looks like at church, everybody has their act together, right? Everybody has it all going on except you. And your next thought is, yeah, maybe God can use them greatly, but I don't think that's ever going to happen in my life. 
And you got to understand the reason we think that way is because it's our natural tendency to evaluate our potential for the kingdom of God by the world's criteria for greatness, by the world's criteria for usefulness. But what we're going to see in this series and what we're going to discover in the Bible is that the things that make a person useful, the things that make a person great in God's kingdom is a completely different than what makes a person great and what makes a person useful on planet earth. God has a totally different standard. Want to see an example? If you have your Bibles this weekend, I'm not going to turn to the book of maps. We're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you don't know where it is, don't even look. I'll be finished by the time you find it, okay? So we'll just put the verses up on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Saul was the first king of Israel. But by the time you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, God has absolutely had it with Saul. And it's because Saul, if you read the story, he made the classic leadership mistake. He thought that God chose him to be the king because he was so talented, because he was so good looking, because he had such incredible leadership skills. And so naturally, when he became king, he relied on his talent, he relied on his ability, he relied on his leadership skills to get things done. And because he relied on himself and his skills, instead of relying on God, he totally screwed everything up. And so when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 16, understand, God has totally had it. He is frustrated with Saul, and God decides it's time for a new king in Israel. And so God tells Samuel, who's the prophet in our story, this is what I want you to do, Samuel. I want you to go down to the city of Bethlehem. There you're going to find a guy named Jesse. Go to his house, knock on his door, tell Jesse you want all of his sons to come outside. They're going to walk before you, and I'm going to tell you, Samuel, which one of those young men is going to be the next king of Israel. And, and Samuel does just as God says. He goes to the house of Jesse. Jesse has the boys walk before him. Now understand, these boys have no idea What's going on? But Samuel knows that one of these young men walking before him, they are going to be the next king of Israel. And so it says in verse six of 1 Samuel 16, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me. So immediately Samuel sees Eliab. And he's like, this is a no-brainer. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. Obviously, he's God's choice to be king. I mean, just look at this guy. He looks like a king. In fact, if you read it, it's kind of like there's a little man crush going on, you know, between Samuel and Eliab. But it says this in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. In other words, I've rejected him. He's not going to be the king. And now here's our phrase. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Let me say that again. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Let's say that together. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Isn't that true? Earlier when we watched that video with Matt and Shannon, I mean, think about this. Matt, they have a 15-foot statue out in front of the headquarters of Abercrombie & Fitch. It's modeled after Matt. That's pretty heady stuff, right? That'll get you. I mean, we look at a couple like that and think, wow, they must have the world by the tail. You know what God looks at? Their heart, their character. Two young people who put principle above money, principle above success. Two young people, even in the, in the modeling industry, who saved themselves for marriage. And God said, that impresses me. Now, why is all of that so important? Well, it's because what often causes us to question whether or not God can use us is that we have a tendency to evaluate ourselves by a standard that God never established. God has a totally different standard. 
God doesn't look at the things that man looks at. In other words, if you're here this weekend and you're thinking, you know what, because I'm gonna do great things for God because I have all this talent, all this ability, and because I'm so gifted. You know what God's thinking? Eh, no, wrong. On the other side, if you're sitting here this weekend thinking, I don't have those gifts, I don't have a lot of talent, I don't really have any abilities, there's no way that God could use me to do great things, God is thinking, eh, wrong. Now understand, God appreciates those things. After all, if you have a gift, God gave you that gift. He gave us our talents, he gave us our abilities, but when it comes to being used by God, those things are pretty much irrelevant because those are the kind of things that impress people on planet Earth. But when it comes to God, is a whole different criteria. When it comes to God, it is a whole different standard. Look what it says in verse seven. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then has Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse's like, oh yeah, that's right. I do have one other son. And so he says, yeah, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. And I think implied in that answer is, but I'm pretty sure it's not him. You know, he's just like a snot-nosed little 12-year-old, 13-year-old teenager. I'm sure it's not him. Maybe we should have the other seven prayed by one more time. Maybe he just didn't pick up something, you know, you need to pick up, right? But look what it says. He is tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Samuel says, go get him. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him this is the one. By the way, Jesse and Samuel, they were just like us. See, they assumed that the future king had to look a certain way. The future king of Israel, he had to act a certain way. He had to be a people person. He had to have an impressive resume. He had to have a great education. But God says, that's not what I'm looking for. That's, what not, that's not what determines a person's usefulness to me. Sure, those other young men, they're handsome. They're talented too. They're just not the right one. Well, why aren't they the right ones? Well, if you continue to read the story, and as we're going to see this next week, God was looking for someone with a specific kind of heart. And even though, as we just read, David was also handsome, he was also good looking, see, that wasn't the issue. Because God isn't impressed by the things that impresses man. He looks at the heart. By the way, do you know where I see this a lot? It's when someone comes up to me at church and they feel like they should be on staff at Hope Community Church. Or somebody wants to be an elder. But where I really see it a lot is even among my staff. Because every once in a while, an opportunity for an advancement or a promotion, and people will say things like, you know, if I were in that role, I would have more influence. Now, I'm just going to tell you something. I don't find anything in the Bible about having influence. I find the Bible to say, be faithful. It is required of a steward to be faithful. And so I'm old school. I think you just be faithful in whatever role you're in, and if God happens to give you influence, that's awesome. But he just wants us to be faithful. So I'm hearing this word, and maybe it's just a millennial thing, a new thing, but I'm hearing influence over and over again. So finally one day in staff meeting, I said, okay, here's the deal. If anybody else in a conversation says, I wish I could get that job because I would have more influence, you have my permission to punch them in the throat. <laughs> no. 
Now, right about that time, I look out my HR guys doing this, like, no, 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 no. I said, Jim, is that okay? And he says, no, 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 no. I said, Jim said it was perfectly okay. Okay, so you go ahead and do that, right. Now, this is what they're thinking. See, as you talk to them, you will discover that they feel that God can really use them because they have so much talent or ability or they have such a strong background or a good resume, or maybe just because they're so smart. And now often their attitude is when they talk to me is, Mike, you've done a pretty good job of getting hope to this place. But I'm telling you, once I'm here, we're gonna take it up another notch. See, it's kind of that attitude. And again, don't get me wrong. God can use our talents and abilities. He can use our background, our intelligence. He can, he can use a strong resume. But I'm gonna be honest with you. When somebody heads into ministry, or somebody's trying to get a promotion thinking, I've got it going on, and when I get into that role, things are really going to happen. I am telling you, they, they are in for a rude awakening. Because when you look at the people that God uses in incredible ways, are you listening to me? Rarely are they the most capable. Rarely are they the most gifted. Rarely are they the most talented. Rarely are they the smartest. Do you know why? It's because people who have those kinds of things that seem to have it all going on by the world standard generally depend and rely on those things. But I'm telling you, you cannot depend and rely on those things and be used greatly by God. Because God isn't looking for people who are depending on their talents. He's not looking for people who are depending on their abilities or their education or their experience. God is looking for people who are totally 100% sold out and dependent on him. In fact, do you know what I've discovered in all these years of ministry? Often it's those who are in ministry who have the talents and the abilities and the education and the experience. It's often those who rely on those things and as a result, like Saul, they crash and burn. And often they take a whole lot of people down with them. It's kind of like that song that Trey sang earlier, by the way he wrote that song. He says, God, all I have are empty open hands. Use man. God is just looking for people who say, God, this is it. This is, I'm just, I got nothing. And without you, I am nothing. I'm totally relying and depending on you. And again, it's not that God's against talent and abilities. I mean, if you have them, God gave them to you. That's just not what he's looking for. See, what he's looking for goes beyond that. Now, on the other side of the coin is the person sitting here this weekend saying, I have no talent, no abilities, no gifts. There's no way that God could use me to do anything. I don't communicate very well. I can't quote a lot of Bible verses. You know, I just learned the one Jesus wept, but sometimes I mess that up and say Jesus was sad. You know, I get confused and I know that God so loved the world, he created something, he did something. I don't know what he did. And I don't know the answers to all the hard theological questions. How can God possibly use me? And I think God wants to say to that person, I understand your situation. I know about your failures. I understand your frailties, your weaknesses. I know your background. But I want to remind you, I don't look at the things that man looks at. You're evaluating yourself by society's criteria for greatness. And true, by the world standard, you may never mount to a hill of beans. But God says, in my kingdom, you have all kinds of potential if you will simply learn what I'm looking for and then if you will make the necessary adjustments. So over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what God is looking for and what makes a person great, what makes a person useful, and his kingdom. But before I let you go this weekend, I want to explain why there's such this conflict between what the world considers to be greatness and what God considers to be greatness. And let me just give you the reason, and then we'll unpack it for a minute, then I'm going to let you go. The reason is this. God's objective is so different than the world's objective. See, what God wants to accomplish with mankind 
is so different from what we want to accomplish with mankind. Think about it this way. In the system we live in, you and I are basically a means to someone else's end. In other words, there's somebody out there who wants to accomplish something, and they want us to help them in the process of accomplishing it. That's how business works. That's how corporate America works. That's how it is in the marketplace. Unfortunately, it even happens in friendships. It even happens in families. I mean, as long as you can perform, as long as you can carry your end of the load and therefore benefit somebody else, then you're safe in the relationship. You are end. But let us drop our end of the load. Let our quotas drop off. And guess what happens? Suddenly we're on the outside looking in. Because in the world system in which we live, our value isn't tied to whom we are. Our value is tied to how much we do, how much we have. Our value is tied to how much we have to spend on a product. That is the nature of economics, the nature of politics, business, finance, friendship. It's even the nature of marriage. I mean, I've been around marriages, done enough marriages, done enough marriage counseling to know that marriages generally break up because somebody's not holding up their end of the deal. He's not doing his part. She's not doing her part. I can't stand how she's doing her part. He's doing it all wrong. I'm not getting anything out of this. I don't feel loved. I'm not, I don't feel appreciated. I'm not happy anymore. My expectations aren't being met. I'm telling you, when you think about it, this is true in every area of life. We are simply a means to someone else's happiness. We're simply a means to someone else's enrichment. We're simply a means to help someone else accomplish their goals. That is the nature of the world we live in. And just so you know, it is never going to change. In fact, Jesus even addressed this in Matthew chapter 20. He's hanging out with the disciples. This is what he said in verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. And it's interesting, in this passage, if you read the entire chapter, Jesus never says it's wrong. He just states a fact. He says, that's the way it is out there in the world. But then when you get to verse 26, we come to the kingdom of God, and he said to his disciples, not so with you. In other words, that's the way it works out there, but in here, that's not the way it works. Why? Because in God's kingdom, people, listen to me, people are never a means to an end. In God's kingdom, people are the end. In fact, the thing that made Jesus such a radically different leader is that he didn't have an agenda that his, his followers were a part of accomplishing. They never felt like there was a hidden agenda. The people that followed Jesus, they never felt used. They never felt like they were a means to an end. They were the end. And see, that's why Jesus could make bold statements like he made in John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. And the crowd heard him say that and they were skeptical just like we're skeptical. And they're like, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be more complicated than that. So naturally they responded, well, well, what else are you trying to do? There's gotta be more than you just want us to be happy and live this life of fulfillment. And Jesus is like, okay, you caught me. There actually is more. Because I'm also going to die on a cross for your sins so that they can be forgiven, so that you can be reconciled back into a relationship with God. And they're like, wow, that's interesting. But what else? And Jesus is like, eh, that's it. I'm just here for you. And that's why he could say when you get to chapter 20, verse 26 of Matthew, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Now, here's the key phrase. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. And I'm going to tell you, in Jesus' day, that one statement turned the leadership paradigm upside down. Because even the Son of Man, the one, the one who deserved to be served, even the Son of Man, the one who could have had another agenda, even the Son of Man, the one who could, who could have used people for his own good, even he didn't come to this earth to be served. He came to serve. I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is built and established on this simple premise. And it sounds so simple, I'll probably get destroyed in the press like Andy Stanley did this week, okay? Others first. That's it. That's what this book is all about. Others first. Others first. You before me, others first. See, it's built and established, and this is what we're going to learn on this ser in this series. It's built and established on this premise, you, you, you. You are the end. Your health, your happiness, your wealth, your welfare, your salvation. It's the end that we have in mind as Christians. And understand, that's why the criteria for greatness and usability in God's kingdom is so different than in the kingdom of man. What drives God's kingdom isn't, what can I get? What drives the kingdom of God is simply this. What can I give? How can I serve? In fact, what drives... His kingdom is love. That sounds so liberal, it's ridiculous. But that's the answer. It's love. It is others first. And it's because people aren't a means to an end. People are the end. And that's what sets the kingdom of God apart from the kingdom of man. I mean, it is just night and day. So this is why, understand, God isn't necessarily looking for talented people are gifted people, even though if you have talent and gifts, God gave them to you. But I'm telling you, God is far more interested in the fruit of the Spirit, how you live out the Christian life, than he is in the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, let's be honest. We all know people who were gifted. We all know people who are incredibly gifted, and we can't stand to be around them. And if you don't know how gifted they are, they'll tell you, see? And you avoid them like the plague, don't you? But when you're around somebody that just really loves people for people's sake, there's something that just kind of draws you to that person. In fact, you can't, you can't be around that individual without wondering, where is this coming from? What is the source of this kind of love? And understand, that's what gives all of us incredible potential to work and serve and be used and do great things in the kingdom of God. God is simply looking for people who are willing to love and serve people the way that he loved and served people. That's it. Now here's the big question you're going to have to grapple with during this series. Does that describe you? But you got to understand, when you begin to live this way, your potential for greatness in God's kingdom, it will skyrocket regardless of your gifts regardless of your talents, but it's when you get serious about loving and serving people. It won't happen before then, and you'll be great. Now, here's part of our challenge. We live in a, in a society where this is America, and what do our teachers tell us? You can do anything you want to do, and you can be anything you want to be, right? And our parents tell us, you can do anything. It's America. You can do anything you want to. I've heard our president say, this is America. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. That's a lie. That's a lie. I've been a Dallas Cowboy fan since I was six years old. 
Don't laugh. Panthers, Panthers are off to a sucky start. You know what I'm saying? I would love to play wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Never going to happen. I've been a Boston Celtic fan since I was a child. John Havlicek, Jojo White, all of those guys, right? I would love to have been a shooting guard for the Boston Celtics. Never going to happen. I played catcher when I was young. I love the Dodgers. I would love to play catcher for the Dodgers. Never going to happen. And it's not because I wouldn't love to do it. And if I was getting the, given the opportunity, I'm telling you, I would try really, really hard. You know why I will never do any of those things? I wasn't born with what it takes. And I'm going to tell you, in the world system, if you're not born with certain things, you're just not going to make it. Okay? Young people, raise your hand if you're under 18. Just raise your hand if you're under 18. Yeah. Your parents lied to you. Okay? <laughs> they lied to you. They flat out looked you in the eye and lied to you. You can't be anything you want to be. But as we're going to see over the next few weeks, as we talk about what it takes to be great in the kingdom of God, this is what you're going to discover. It's not about stuff that you're born with. And what we're going to learn in this series is regardless of your past, your history, your failures, your baggage, regardless, we're going to discover that all of us have an equal opportunity to be used by God to impact people around us. And I'm telling you, there is no greater thrill in life than knowing that somehow God used you to impact somebody for all eternity. Now next weekend, we're gonna begin by looking at the very first characteristic. And we're gonna see in the life of David, God says, I'm looking for someone with a pure heart. And we're all like, okay, I'm out, right? Because pure heart, really? But it doesn't mean what you think it means. In the Hebrew, it literally means an undivided heart. It means that your agenda and your plans line up with God's agenda and God's plans. And when you can get there, we're gonna see next week the things that God can use you to do, absolutely incredible. Let's pray together. Father, you're an awesome God. And the fact that you would use us, and there is no plan B. There is no plan B. And Father, I even think of what it says in 1 Corinthians, that, that if, you, if you could do this and you can do that and you have this kind of gift, and, but if you don't have love, you're just a loud symbol. You just make a lot of noise but you don't make any difference. Help us to come through this series and get to the point where we're not relying on our pedigree. We're not relying on our education. We're not relying on how successful we've been in the marketplace. But we walk out of here asking ourselves, do I truly have a heart that is willing to love and serve people? And Father, I believe that more than anything else will catapult us into reaching the triangle and changing the world. We give you the glory and the credit for right now for what you're gonna do in this series. In your name we pray, amen.